Welcome to the CTF Sustainability Podcast Series. My name is Madeline Vanderhaven, and I work on the communications team at the CTF. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labor, plastic waste, deforestation, food waste, and refrigeration. Today, it's a great pleasure to be speaking with two social sustainability experts to discuss the topic of responsible recruitment and remediation. Rosie Hurst is founder and managing director of Impact, an ethical corporate consulting company, and Brent Wilton is principal to HANA Business and Human Rights, a consultancy based in New Zealand. And of course, he is the former co-chair of our own Human Rights Coalition for Work and Force Labor. So Rosie and Brent, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Madeline. It's great to be here. Thanks, Madeline. So the reason we're so excited to speak with you today is because, Rosie, you held a webinar for the members of our Human Rights Coalition working to end forced labor over the summer to share IMPACT's new principles and guidelines for the repayment of migrant worker recruitment fees and related costs. So we wanted to take a deeper dive into this topic of unethical recruitment uh, and remediation to share it with the wider CGF community. So I think my first question will go to Brent and just asking, how large is this issue of unethical recruitment? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, Madeline, it is a very good question because it's almost the issue of how long is a piece of string. Uh, there has been a lot of work done and Rosie's impact consultancy has done a lot of work in this and identifying it in certain markets. So it has been seen to be prevalent in parts of the world, but there's been no real examination in other parts of the world. And if what we're seeing in Asia and elsewhere is indicative of what's going on, then the chances are this is a lot bigger than anyone thought it was. It's also important to realize that um, unethical recruitment comes in a variety of different forms. It's not all the most extreme forms of modern slavery or forced labor. Some of it is more subtle, and it's being undertaken in some countries where such things as uh, charging for fees is still legal. So the debt bondage issues that can come through from the payment of fees can be sanctioned in some countries. And we're working very hard to try and get those countries to understand that state sanctioning of this sort of debt creation is not helpful in terms of creating an ethical environment. The other challenge you have in the unethical recruitment field is, is that the market itself hasn't shifted. In many parts of the world, people, unfortunately, have become used to paying for a job. And in fact, in some instances, it's been seen that if they're not paying for a job, they don't think the job is real. And so there is a number of issues that have to be addressed in terms of changing people's minds so that they understand exactly what the elements they are facing in their recruitment that could be seen to be unethical. Another big area where there needs to be more work done, and we were doing this in part with the CGF working group, is with regards to creating a market for ethical recruitment. So that means working very closely with those recruiters that companies have experienced that do not charge fees or incur costs on the employee and instead apply the employer pays principles, which have been around for a while now, where the employer pays the cost of recruitment. I mean, it seems an oxymoron to say no one should have to pay to get a job. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And I think as we keep looking, we'll find more. Yeah, and just to jump in there, Brent, about, about this is more widespread than we think. I mean, certainly we are seeing very unethical recruitment coming into Europe. 
um, everything on, on the spectrum that you were talking about, from the very bad, bad end trafficking to just widespread bad practice at the other end of the spectrum. So this isn't just an Asian problem, it's not just a Middle Eastern problem. I think that's an important point to make. Yeah, I think you're very right, Rosie, and I think it's problematic when people try and compartmentalize it into certain regions because it means they're not looking for the stuff and you've got to be looking for it everywhere. I think actually this is because this is a problem that arises between countries and along corridors and because it presents ever so slightly differently in each of those corridors that adds to the complexity. And I mean it sounds both of you have talked about how complex this all of this is and so I'm guessing that the, the 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 way to respond to this problem is also going to be very complex it's not going to be a simple solution um so brent kind of in, th in thinking about approaches and, and solutions what are some good preventative measures measures that businesses can apply to to address this issue yeah and I, I think it's true to say that the nature of the beast can be quite complex and the ways in which it manifests itself as rosie was mentioning but there are some very simple things that business can do to make sure that they are addressing the risk of unethical recruitment in their business or with their suppliers. And that's basically paying more attention to their whole recruitment process. And that means not just looking at what other people are doing, but what they are doing themselves. Because I'm sure that in some instances, out there amongst some very large companies, are some practices around recruitment within their own businesses, which don't meet the test anymore of what is ethical. And so I think it's very important, like we do with all human rights issues, to do some due diligence, to work out exactly how are you going about as a company employing people? Are you doing direct employment, which a number do? Are you contracting that employment out to third-party labor providers to find those people for you? Or are you also relying on independent contractors to provide you services over which you say you have no control? So a little bit of due diligence can help. There's also a big need, I think, Madeline, in terms of the sort of engagement that the CGF members can bring with each other, is to exchange good practice. Who out there have companies used to do recruitment around all parts of the world that have shown that they don't charge fees? Now, that doesn't mean there's a guarantee that in every instance they won't charge fees. It means every country should, um, sorry, every company should go and do its own due diligence to make sure that that allegation is true, that they don't charge fees. But if they just took that a little bit more seriously and very simply review their whole recruitment process through a lens of ethical recruitment. Now, that isn't necessarily that hard to do. It just takes a focus. People haven't looked here before. And by applying that lens, as we're doing within the CGF forced labor on own operations, for example, looking at that as a starting point to say, what do we need to do as a business to ensure ourselves that the people joining our business are being recruited ethically? And if you start that investigation, you may find some worrying things. And we have heard of instances where there is complicity between labor providers and human resource recruiters to perpetuate some of this practice in some countries, particularly those where corruption and bribery are still very much part and parcel of the landscape with which business does business, but you have to go and look. And so that due diligence piece, get out of your top floor, go and have a look how your recruitment's occurring. And Brent, yes, just to, just to add to that. 
Um, I think it's just a, a question of paying attention, as you say. I think something that used to be uh, a relatively easy procurement decision is now becoming something which companies need to take pay more attention to. Now, obviously, it's always annoying to discover there's no such thing as a free lunch, but we all know there is no such thing as a free lunch. So uh, that constant due diligence, I think, is the key. It's like every piece of due diligence, Madeline, no matter what you're doing in this space, you've got to keep on doing it. Because as I said at the outset, some of the stuff morphs and changes over time. We saw it with issues like retention of passports, where that was stopped, but then retention of other documents started to occur. So it's that constant, as Rosie said, making sure that you are reviewing your processes all the time. And then where you do have responsible recruiters that you have identified, give them the business. Don't try and use other ones that you've got no line of sight on just because it might be convenient or cheaper. Reward the ones who are doing the right thing. Then you can start to move the market. Absolutely. And, and, and just to build on that, this is um, we obviously there are technical aspects of this. So, you know, are people following the right processes? Are we sure our supplier is doing this correctly? But there is also the economic factor. So we need to make sure that um, that we pay the right amount for recruitment because it costs money to get to bring people to find people to bring people from country A to country B. And we need to make sure that we're paying the right price for that. So Rosie, just in terms of next steps, why is remediation so complicated? Well, actually, I, I kind of argue with this. I actually think it's not that complicated, um, particularly uh, now that a lot of work has been done to sort through some of the complexity and um, develop a kind of universal way of doing things. Um, now, when we're talking about remediation here, let's be very clear, there are a number of different harms that workers can suffer when, when they're being unethically recruited, um, ranging from you know, passport retention and um, uh, also things like um, horrible working conditions and things like that. Um, let's not focus on those things, they're super important. Let's focus just on this issue of recruitment fees for now. Um, so I don't think it needs to be that complicated. One of the initial difficulties was that nobody had any receipts. Um, now, I think the way that is proposed of, of, of repaying following our guidelines means that that no longer matters. What matters is understanding how much workers have paid and then getting it paid back to them. So um, let's take a step back. Why is that important? Well, if every worker that arrives on your site or the site that you're interested in um, has not paid any money, or if they have paid some money, that money has already been repaid to them from day one, then those people are at much lower risk of future forced labor issues. Um, they are also much more likely to be happy, free and productive. So that's where we need to get to. That's a very simple thing. And these guidelines set out in, uh, in a lot of detail how to get to that position. So how to find out whether workers have paid and how to calculate repayments and how to communicate repayments and how to conduct repayments. Um, and whilst we live in a sea of non-compliance, I think we just all have to realize that 
um, because of the complexity of recruitment, we're going to have to do quite a lot of repayment, not always enormous sums of money, actually. Sometimes it may just be fixing a few extra charges that were made to workers along the way. So I think we need to kind of downscale all of this from being massively complicated to being something that's part of normal business and part of getting you to um, that good, solid starting point of workers who are free entering your facilities. Yeah, and Rosie, if I can just come in and say that that's the, the ideal thing about the principles that have been developed. A lot of confusion exists when no one knows how to act or how to respond. That is now in place. It's there. You can go to that tool and you can work through it and you can pay back the fees that are owed to workers. So this confusion that people often had is about where do I start? Who are we talking about? What do I do next? It's all taken care of in a very, very straightforward way in the principles, which is making them so important a tool to use. And as Rosie said about remediation, it isn't everything, I agree very much with that. But under the UNGPs, remediation, putting people back in the position they were before the harm was caused is a key part of pillar three. And now we have a tool that can at least mean those people who have incurred fees and harm, are now able to have that harm remedied. And that's a big step forward for anybody. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, the um, it's important to remember that um, remedy is part of due diligence, actually. Um, one, one tends to think of due diligence of just, as, just as being what I call the findy-outy phase, but actually it is also the fixy-fixy phase. Uh, so it, in fact, in order to comply with OECD guidelines and things like that, having a quick and relatively easy fix for remedy for this very widespread issue is kind of important. Yes, and I think, Rosie, also what we're seeing is it will be a prerequisite. Uh, more and more organisations around the world are facing the challenge of importation of product into certain countries that have bans on behaviours that can really bring, bring big problems for them. And this could be a tool to help them move through those obstacles in a way which is seen as being ethical as well. Absolutely. And I think um, those import bans really have delivered a kind of Heimlich manoeuvre um, to this field. Um, and also are the things that drive demand for a simple solution. Because, you know, when it's about moving product around the world, we need quick, effective, internationally recognised ways of fixing well-known problems. And I think that's what this is. So both of you, in terms of these uh, approaches and solutions and part of that fixy fixy phase, Rosie, that you shared, um, what are, are some innovative approaches that tackle both the recruitment problem, the unethical recruitment problem, and the remediation? Right, so um, I, I'm just going to hop in here and just talk about demand. Um, one, I mean, I think we tend to look at repayment as like the end of the story but actually we found it's a very effective beginning of the story because when a company has to repay particularly if it's a relatively large amount of money that really drives demand for more ethical recruitment in the future so I like to see this as a virtuous circle what we've seen actually is when repayments are made subsequent rounds of recruitment even if there are no technical fixes applied the fees paid paid go down by about 60 percent um, and that's because nobody wants to have to do too large uh, repayments so I think we need to look at the market for this 
um, to understand how we can drive repayment as part of normal business practice, such as to drive demand for more ethical recruitment in, 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 in the future. Um, now, the elephant in the room is, of course, who pays? Um, because in the end, what's happening right now is that workers are paying, which isn't fair. And so employers, according to the principle, need to pick up that, um, that challenge. Um, now, in the course of normal business moving forward, that isn't a problem that just gets costed in. But we do recognise that there is a market adjustment that needs to happen, um, which is going to be expensive for some. So, so one of the things that Brent and I are really working hard on now um, with a banking partner is working out ways of funding this. So at the moment, an employer would find it quite difficult to get a loan from a bank to repay recruitment fees. Uh, banks tend not to be anxious to lend for this sort of thing. So um, what we're doing now is talking to a range of international finance institutions on um, whether or not we can develop a remedy bond. So this would be like a green bond or like a social bond where companies or governments or others invest in a bond uh, which creates a fund which then the international financial institution is able to dispense to companies who, as loans who need cover to repay swiftly, repay recruitment fees. Um, this way, it, you can see that um, there's then a sum of money which is available for this, uh, which is provided on a short-term basis by perhaps large companies or by governments on which they get a small return, but which enables access for speedy repayment. So hopefully, watch this space, Madeline. Uh, we hope to have some news in the new year, which will mean that this is becoming a little bit more of a reality. But I think um, we have to recognise that a market correction needs to take place, and we have to make sure that we smooth that correction as much as possible. Um, there are some other ideas as well, thinking about from a market's perspective. Uh, one of the issues that faces recruitment companies is a cash flow issue. Um, at the moment, recruitment companies, recruitment agencies spend time recruiting workers to, to fulfil an order from, from uh, an employer. Um, but they only get paid once they've delivered the workers and sometimes some months afterwards. So there are also interesting moves afoot looking at working capital for uh, recruitment companies, which enable them to cover their costs during the recruitment period. Because um, a key problem is at the moment, a recruitment company makes more money, makes more profit and has fewer cash flow woes uh, if they use the old pattern, which is to get workers to pay. And of course, we're in a slightly hybrid position at the moment where some companies um, try and get a bite out of both ends of the cherry, so to speak, um, charging both workers and then subsequently employers. So um, there does need to be more regulation of this, but I think also cash flow support uh, in terms of working capital loans to uh, working capital provision to uh, agencies and recruiters is also an important tool. Yeah, Rosie, if I can just come in and say again, it comes back to the company or the employer. The employer also needs to be thinking about how its practices may be actually aggravating, adding to or facilitating bad practices and unethical recruitment. And I think that issue that you've just raised about the working capital of the recruitment firms is a very key one. Are there terms of service such that they are disincentivizing 
uh, recruitment agencies from doing the right thing for those sorts of issues like cash flow. And that's why the due diligence that needs to be undertaken looking at the issue around ethical recruitment needs to be quite broad in terms of the impacts it looks at and the sorts of reliefs that may be needed to be given in order for it to occur. I know that the, you know, the terms of payment, 90, 120 days, can be very difficult for small businesses. So again, employers, the big companies in particular, need to be saying, what can we do to alleviate that in a way which means that recruitment firm is able to operate and is not required to charge fees in order to keep their cash running that we then have to pay back later on? Absolutely. And I think, you know, to chime in with something you were saying earlier, that's about purchasing practices. It may be about framework agreements. Um, one, of, one of the issues in this area is that it tends to be very transactional. You know, demand for labour is raised and basically sometimes even auctions. Um, and it's kind of on a one-off spot basis. Um, and what we need to do is build the kind of strategic relationships with the, uh, with, with the providers of workers so that, just as with anything else, actually, so that you get a good supplier who is supplying you with a high quality service rather than something on spot where you go for the, the lowest price. And we're also looking, as Rosie said, about some bonds to help fund some of this, but we're also talking to the likes of the ILO and the IOM to see how we can get these principles recognized to the extent that we can so that governments and other agencies can rely on them as being uh, best in class, so to speak, and that they can be relied upon as actually meeting the expectations of the likes of the ILO and IOM. And that's going to be very important. As Rosie has always said, with regards to these principles, she wants to let them loose on the world and not remain forever with an impact. It, it's not what um, Rosie wants. It's not what any of us want. So the uptake by these other organizations is going to be also very important for smoothing the way for their acceptability and adoption. Yeah, and, and, and to add to that, um, we kind of developed the principles as a result of the work in the field that we were doing. Since then, um, they've been consulted on by, I think it must be 250 people by now, from all sectors, all types of organisations. So I kind of don't view them as ours at all anymore. Um, they're very much public good, available for immediate download from the Impact website. Um, and I'm sure through CGF as well. So um, please, anyone who's interested, take them and use them uh, because that's what they're there for. And I think the other thing too, Rosie, is make sure that if you are downloading them and the CGF uh, membership, they need to make sure that they get into the hands of their recruitment people, that they actually engage in a conversation internally in the company with how recruitment needs to be looked at through the human rights lens and the human rights due diligence expectations that are now emerging and that they actually engage and train their recruiters to understand exactly what their practices are and how those practices might be negatively impacting recruitment, and then explain how the recruitment principles can work to the benefit of the company by making sure that harm, if it does occur, is as remedied as quickly as possible. And as Rosie said, that these people are then focused on doing the job and not worrying about the fact that they're going to have to work for a considerable period of time just to repay a recruitment fee when that money could be better off going back to their families right from the word go. Absolutely. And, you know, this is to kind of come back to the essential thing. We're talking about human capital here. And all too often, this category of worker are seen as, um, at best, an object, at worst, a liability. Um, 
Whereas in fact, we need people who bring their eyes, brains, arms and legs to work and who are super productive and super intelligent. That's what we need in our challenging world. And these principles are one of the ways of starting to lay the foundations for that. And, and, you know, as the ILO has always said, labour is not a commodity, Rosie. And unfortunately, in some of these instances, it's treated as a commodity. Mm. And and that's not right. It's just simply not right. And I don't find many employers who, when you discuss this with them, turn around and say, no, I want to keep exploiting the workers. Some of this is because they've done it that way for years and years and years and have never thought anything about it. As I said, some of it's done because people expect to pay fees to get a job. That's where a big education piece is also needed. And companies need to be talking to their suppliers about this, as well as their own recruitment people to make sure it's actually getting down really into the business. Absolutely. I think with that, that's a a great place to wrap up today. I mean, both of you have shared such interesting um, uh, insights on on both what the the scope of the problem, um, the the complexities and the the simple parts of the problem um, and also uh, innovative approaches to to address it. So Rosie and Brent, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. It's been a really great pleasure and um, we'll, we'll connect with you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Madeline. I think it's important for your listeners to understand that the journey starts with the first step. And so let's get on the journey. Absolutely. Thanks, Madeline. And thanks very much, Brent. Thanks, Rosie. Good to see you. <laughs> if you would like to find out more about the CGF and our work on sustainability, you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com. If you like this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you and see you